Welcome in to another episode of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett here as always with Melissa Trebwasser. On this episode, we answer your questions about the upcoming TCU football season. That's it. That's all we're going to do on this episode is ask because question, or answer you guys, questions. You guys have a lot of questions, it turns out. Um, the response yeah. was, uh, shall I say, overwhelming, Jamie. Pretty good. I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm super thankful for everybody that asked us a question or asked us multiple questions. We got in total between Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook close to, I think, 100 questions. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the process of how we're going to get through all of those in a moment. But first... If this is your first time listening to us, thank you, first and foremost. This show, Frogs Insider, is part of the Republic of Football Network with Dave Campbell's Texas Football, which can be found anywhere you listen to your podcasts. So make sure that you are subscribed to the Republic of Football Network, subscribe to Frogs Insider as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, go ahead and leave us a review, share the show with a friend. All of that really goes a long way to helping us out, uh, and we really, really appreciate it when you guys do that. Um, We want to make sure that every TCU fan on the planet knows where to get the most up-to-date information and commentary on TCU athletics. That's right here at Frogs Insider. So, Melissa. Jamie. Oh, wait, I have a sponsor agreed to do. <laughs> We're really, really good Crushing at it. Yeah. If you've listened to previous episodes of the Frogs Insider podcast, and this isn't your first foray into Rodeo. our show, you know that Frogs Insider is brought to you in part by Homefield Apparel. From t-shirts to hoodies to quarter zips and joggers, Homefield Apparel has the best designed, most comfortable clothing options for you to represent your home team, whether it's TCU or somebody else i know melissa and i both have a ton of home field apparel clothing and it's not just limited to tcu stuff for me as evidenced by the shirt i am currently wearing good shirt it's It's such a good good shirt shirt. it is a university of florida here come the gator shirt with like a 60s gator running around on there um delight it's excellent i've got a couple sec and acc schools represented in my closet as well as other schools like memphis and george washington because who doesn't want a t-shirt that has george washington dribbling a basketball on it um and i know that melissa's got a couple other things in her closet as well so many. and Just we're an planning embarrassing amount we both have plans to add more to that collection yeah. to this fall because Oregon just came out. Yeah. There's some banger South Carolina shirts out there. Did you know that Illinois State has a fighting pedantics, which is basically fighting teachers t-shirt? So I got to get one of those. That's right up your alley. It's right. I am a fighting teacher. Yeah. So, um, Melissa, when you do that, and folks, if you want to get in and get in the game with the good brand, make sure to use code FROGS and 15 for 15% off your first purchase and 10% off all subsequent purchases. That's FROGS IN15 to get a couple bucks back on the best college gear in the country. Do it today and get it in time for the first week of college football season because Melissa... We are one week away from fall camp starting. Listen, I'm treating this week like game week, but that's only because I have Taylor Swift on Saturday night. And so I am <laughs> prepping like I would for a Saturday football game with the same level of attention to detail and, and preparation. But it's great practice because it does predate the opening of TCU's football season by a month and the opening of fall camp by a couple of days. So I feel like it's, it's we're ramping up just to stay ramped up for the next four or five, six months. Okay, so it, it, if this week is like your fall camp for T-Swift. Yeah. What's what's going into the daily prep? Can you give us any insight into the fit and yeah. like the day yeah. the game day plans? 
Absolutely. This, I'm so glad that you asked. Um, it turns out my sister who I'm attending with, um, who is not online at all. So she gets to watch this with fresh eyes, which is so exciting for her, but is the most, for all of the ADHD that I am, she is total type A. Um, and so she has really taken to this, like she's planning a big high level business meeting, which I really appreciate. <laughs> and I don't have to do anything other than tell her like the actual entertainment parts of what she needs to know. So first things first, I'm sorry for the audio only audience. You're going to miss my pink sparkly nails. These oh are very gosh. important. Yep. Got those done yesterday. Um, I, I've got a pink sparkly sequined skirt, a rhinestone black shirt, and then a knockoff because teacher salary cardigan um, uh, for to represent cardigan because it will be chilly Saturday night in Santa Clara is what, is what we've discovered. Um, we we have we are going to head to the parking lot a couple hours before they open so that we can get in line to get in line to get into the parking space that we bought that I won't talk about how much that cost, but Oof. The, the amount of investment, Taylor, I have made in attending this concert, it's significant. It is significant. Tickets, parking, outfits. Um, there will be lots of glitter, so much glitter, glitter everywhere. Uh, we're going to Taylor Gate um, in the parking lot uh, ahead of the show. And then we're going to get in. Um, as soon as the gates open, we're going to wait in line to wait in line to get into the gates and make sure that we're there because we've got Haim and uh, Gracie Abrams open. Not Travis. Haim, um, Haim, I guess is probably the proper way to say that. Um, <laughs> That'd be pretty dope, though, if Travis Haim was open yeah. enough for Taylor Swift, just like yeah. slinging burn ends and ribs like, at people. Into, into the crowd. Just, <laughs> I mean, I honestly like it would help because the food at the stadium is not going to be cheap. So True. very excited. This is my first time in Levi's Stadium. I'm hoping to return for week three of the preseason when uh, TCU West collides when the 49ers and uh, LA Chargers play a preseason game. Nice. So that features like five horned frogs um, on that mm -hmm. one. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up. It's going to be an all day affair. Like I was thinking last night as I was winding down to get ready for bed around seven that, oh my God, next Saturday, Taylor won't have even come on stage yet. And I'm already tired. So <laughs> uh, we, we planned a lot of caffeination as well. So I, I am just, Again, you guys have to understand that I do work at an all-girls high school. And so this I have been inundated with Taylor Swift um, since November when tickets went on sale. So I am properly excited for this event. Um, it is it is the, the great way to close out summer so that I can turn my attention to football in the fall. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. When I see a Taylor Swift clip come up on TikTok, I'll stop down and, and watch it. She's it a great sad, entertainer. She's sad, a great entertainer. Yeah. People look like they're having the best time of their oh, lives there. It's going to be so much fun. One follow-up question, though, for you, because I know that based on my TikTok viewing, people have had this issue when they go to the show live. When are you going to be able to dip out and grab some merch so you don't have to wait in line? So here's what, this is great. I'm glad that you brought that up. So um, <laughs> my sister is uh, still on maternity leave, and she's going to hate this because she is, again, so not online. So I've I've delved into one of her secrets, but I, she doesn't listen to the podcast. I can guarantee you that. So <laughs> we're going to um, get a text this week. I'm, I'm sending this directly to her. So here well, we <laughs> she still won't listen, but Brian might, her husband might listen. That's possible. I doubt he does either. But yeah. So, um, so hopefully they're doing an early merch on Thursday. They've done that in some cities where they're okay. at NFL stadium. So she will hopefully be there at the opening of the early merch uh, sale so that she, I want that blue crew neck. You know, I want it because everybody else wants it and some people can't get it. And so now I, of course, want to spend $75 on something that everybody says gets ruined after one wash because so, I am the target audience. So it's so not as good as home field. 
would you would you pay seventy five dollars for that shirt? Not watch it, not wash it, and then repackage it and sell it. Turn it no. around for like three fifty or something. So this is a again, this is a great thing because as I've watched, I got great seats mm-hmm. at face value. I got great tickets. I'm not on the floor, but I'm lower bowl. Great seats. I've been watching what I could sell those tickets for. When I tell you the markup is ten times what I paid. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it is like a half a year salary. Um, and will I be selling them? No, Mm-mm. I'm going to the show, man. I just keep spending money. I'm going to the show. Um, if you guys want to start a GoFundMe for me, I uh, appreciate it. Uh, it's fine, but no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm wishing I would have had the foresight at that point to buy my maximum allotment, but I was so terrified when I finally got selected out of the queue that I just hit buy. I didn't mm-hmm. know what I was buying. I didn't know where they were. I had no idea what they were going to cost. I was like, yes, two, please. Good done. Nice. But, but looking back, uh, hindsight, I, I could have paid for all of my entertainment more if I had just went ahead and bought four tickets instead of six, but at least I don't have to say I'm part of the problem and I get to be part of the solution. Final question. Final follow-up. Okay. I will talk about Taylor if, Swift concert for the entire episode. If, I'm sure the people would love that. They would love that. We got a lot of questions to get to. So this will be my final Taylor Swift question. If someone offered you a million dollars tomorrow for your tickets, would you take it? Oh, absolutely. I'm not okay. an idiot. Okay. Yeah. I've, like, seen, I've, I've seen some yeah. folks be like, no, this is the life experience that I've always wanted. I would turn down a billion dollars. I'm like, you no. are an idiot. Yeah. No, because take the billion the dollars. Deal. I'm going to take the million dollars and I'm going to fly and go watch her in Munich next summer. Oh, there you go. So I can and see still Taylor have $972,000 to your name. Yeah. I, I like if somebody, if I'm at the concert and somebody offers me five grand for the ticket, I'm sitting outside in my car in my parking spot listening to it from outside. You know, like I'm not that dumb. I mean, there are plenty of people doing that. I know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like there's, I'm not an idiot, but I'm really excited about it and it's fun. And as an old person, like you don't get a lot of these opportunities to be this excited about Man. a singular event. So yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to live I it mean, up. I'm, I, I'll be interested to hear on the next episode of, of the Frogs Insider podcast how about well, how it went and then how old did you feel? Well, here's, here's the thing you have to understand is this is how you're going to be listening to me on the next episode of the Frogs Insider podcast. sound like this. Because you I got till Monday. I mean, we've every we, word. You've got till Monday night. Like throat lozenges, you'll be fine. Yeah. Forty-eight hours, hey, you'll be all right. But everybody, also make sure you 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 stay tuned to the Twitter and the Instagram because I w- I do have some custom kicks that are being made for me by a former mm. student, and oh. I have no idea what she's doing, but I can't. They're gonna they're they're uh, Air Force Ones that are being customized. They're gonna be sick because this kid's a heck of an artist. So incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So the whole fit, the whole fit's going to be lit. Like, don't worry. And there will be plenty of sharing. So I'm excited. I'm excited yeah, to see the kids. I'm excited to hear about your experience there. I have heard excellent, excellent things about yeah. her, her concerts. We'll, and we'll build in a cool. solid 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of the next podcast. Don't you guys, we're worry. never on a don't schedule. You worry. We're never yeah. on a schedule anyways. We'll just fire it off. But um, also but, on, on that home field apparel, if you're listening, if you could please make some Taylor Swift merch by the good brand, I would, it would really, last I would, forever. I would eat it up. I'd so, eat it up. My my rhythm for home field apparel clothing is I'll typically like rock one shirt when I get home from work for about a week and then I'll just like throw it in with the week's worth of laundry. So like we're on we're recording on Monday. So like the Florida shirt that I've got on is it's only on day two of being warm. I I, I cannot I don't, believe that's a sentence that just came out. Of I don't house. like when I get home at the end of a work day, I don't do much. Like I don't go outside. I don't sweat a ton. I like make dinner and hang out with my kids for a little while. And then I put them to bed and then I normally sit with a laptop in my lap and watch a show with my wife. So like, it's not like it's high energy mass exertion going on. It's just like the comfort tea that I wear at the end of a long day 
so what I do is I put on, and it's almost always a home field shirt when I get home from work, but then I just sleep in it that night. So I feel like I get a full like use out of it. Mm -hmm. But if I work out, then I shower and put on a different most likely well yeah i mean i'm not gonna like sweat into this shirt and then just willingly put it on again at the end of the next day you you know that's the clip i'm gonna clip too for social right it's jamie talking about how he wears the (laughs) same shirt for five days tag home field tag home field they'll love it everything's great also shop home field we'll close this ad out i guess shop (laughs) the taylor just with a taylor swift segment in the middle of a sponsored group um Frogs in 15 for 15% off your first purchase. There we go. Um, Should we talk some football? Let's talk some football. So shout out to everyone who asked us questions, whether it was on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I posted on threads, but I think threads is already dead. Uh, Rest (laughs) in peace to threads. You lasted a whole month against Twitter. How Um, long is X going to last? I don't know, but I saw that um, the little explainer tweet where it was like, oh, it's not a tweet. It's a zeet now oh, and no. call it a zeet. And then I just replied with the, the office gif of Andy Bernard trying to convince people to call him Drew. <laughs> and when he comes back from anger management yeah. and then Jim just saying, I'm not going to call you that. So yeah, perfect. I will not be calling it a zeet. I will be calling it a tweet because it is yeah, Twitter. I will. It tweet. Is Twitter. Um, but yes. Yeah, so thank you to you guys between the multiple uh, questions per comment and the, the multiple platforms. We've got about a hundred questions. What I've done is I read every single question, first of all. So if you ask a question, it will be addressed in some manner on the podcast tonight. But what I've done is I've kind of triaged them a little bit. I've compiled them. I've placed them into buckets. So this will be kind of like your football TCU football preview going into the fall season it's only going to be questions that you ask, but because so many people ask questions, you basically ask questions about every single position group. So the way that we're going to review all of our position groups tonight is just by going into the questions that you ask. If we, if you hear, oh, hey, that person asked the same question as I did. I also added on who else asked that or similar questions in my like listing of questions. Jamie so, put in work for this podcast today. I put well, in work. I put well, in I work I spent today. an hour and a half on the phone with LG. Like that's, yeah, you were putting in work. I was trying to get my ice maker fixed. That's We're doing, we, we're on the same level here. We were yeah. cranking out work today. Um, yeah. So in all that's uh, leads us to about 40 total questions that we will be answering, but just know that your questions probably rolled into one of those 40. If you don't hear it asked explicitly out loud on the show. So that's how we're going to do that tonight. And so we're going to jump right in. We're going to start, Melissa, on the offensive side of the football with two questions that are kind of more overview of the offense style questions. The first one is from at Rev Jerry Johns from Twitter. Uh, They ask, what will be the primary method for scoring, run, pass, or a balanced attack? Well, I think we heard Sonny talk a little bit about this at Big 12 Media Days of how important the run game is to him and to Kendall Bryles. And Mm -hmm. so that to me screams balanced attack. I don't think this is going to be a run heavy offense, but I think he really is trying to emphasize the run as far as how he's selling this new look offense to to the fan base and to the media. Um, And a lot of that has to do because there's some inexperience on the offensive line, at least as a unit, and because there is some talent in the defensive backfield and a quarterback is not necessarily exactly a Kendall Bryles quarterback, but they can certainly make plays with his feet as well. I, I, yeah, I'm here. I'm here for that. I, I, you know, I think from a passing standpoint and we're going to get into this with a couple questions down the road, 
you know, you've got some questions about wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of talent in that room. Um, but a lot of it is proven elsewhere or unproven or talented, but injured, you know, so we've got to figure out what that looks like. Um, they showed, I think a little bit of what their plan is, uh, at the spring game, as far as how quickly they want to get the ball out, where they want to get the ball out to. Um, but I, I, I see this as being a, a more balanced attack than maybe 2022, which is an yeah. odd saying because TCU had a 1500 yard rusher in 2022, but it's still at, at times felt pretty pass heavy, yeah. um, very air raid. And I think we're going to see, uh, like you mentioned, Melissa, um, a real appreciation for the run game this season as well. Uh, it's going to look a lot different than just giving the ball to Kendra Miller and Amari DiMercato yeah. though. And like we've talked about too, I think that a lot, you know, we talked about this kind of around the spring game is a lot of that pass offense is almost an extension of the run play. When you look at some of those kind of short passing, you know, kind of on the move options that Chandler Morris is going to have. So uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially early on to hit that run game hard for all of the reasons that you mentioned. And just when you look at the personnel on the field. So I'm excited to see, you know, guys like Trey Sanders, who is someone that TCU players talked up a lot as a guy that just looks like a dude out there. Um, if he can stay healthy, him along with kind of the speedster and Imani Bailey and some of the other guys, that that's a group that that I'm really intrigued to see how they perform. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Um, why don't we just go back and forth? You, you hit the next question and yeah. we'll just kind of alternate. I actually really like this question from that doofus Colin on Twitter. Um, he, you know what? We might tweet, but Colin Zietz, 100%. Colin is a Zietz. And you know he's he's leaning fully into the Zietz yes. as well. He's a, he's a Zieting millennial or whatever he is. Um, does TCU have guaranteed playmakers? I think this is a great question, Jamie. I do love this question, and my gut reaction and my instinct is telling me to say yes because I think that there is undoubtedly talent on this roster on both sides of the football. I mean, you talk about playmakers, you're going to talk about Josh Newton. You're going to talk about Bud Clark. You're going to talk about Mark Perry. Some of these guys in the secondary, that is arguably the best secondary in the big 12 this year. One of the best secondaries in the country offensively. I mean, you know what you're getting in JP Richardson, you know what you're getting in Savion Williams. Sonny Dykes talked about him. He needs to be a little bit more consistent, um, be in the right spot at the right time. And then you've got guys coming in that, have suffered injuries throughout their career, but could very well be some of those big playmakers like Trey Sanders and Jojo Earl. So yes, I would, I would tend to say that this team is full of playmakers on the roster. So it's interesting that you led with defense there because I wouldn't have thought about going that direction, but if you're leaving it open to guarantee playmakers, like you said, there are some of those guys on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that secondary. I I think it's, fair but also a little premature to say there are guaranteed playmakers on offense because we haven't seen those guys have to be mm-hmm. the guy in an offense yet and so um guarantee like I'm very hopeful I have expectation that there are guys that are going to be able to you know not necessarily duplicate but replicate to a degree what guys like Quentin Johnston and Tay Barber and Darius Davis and Max Duggan um, and Kendra Miller and Amari DeMarcado did but until they actually do it um, I, I think that there's still something to be seen. You mentioned Savion Williams. Um, we'll talk more about him when we get to wide receivers, but he certainly seems to be the guy with experience, you know, athleticism and just kind of natural gifts 
should be, could be that guy. And then at the injured guys, Trey Sanders, Jojo Earl, I mean, there's a reason those guys were, you know, high four or five-star prospects and got recruited by schools like Alabama because they can certainly make plays. So I'm going to say a hesitant no on offense um, with a lot of expectation that that answer will quickly, quickly change a couple games into the season. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, so, all right, let's move on into kind of our quarterbacks section of questions. First person up is at Cricks underscore TV from Twitter. He asks, how does Chandler look um, at TCU Frogs first on Twitter? Had a similar question. Melissa, you, you watched a lot of the spring game. Yeah. We had a lot of conversations during the springtime about Chandler Morris and what he looked like in practice. How does Chandler look to you? I mean, it looks like he's a guy that has the talent and is still rounding into form after missing much of the last season and not having played meaningful snaps in a football game in almost two years now. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think that we saw, especially in spring practice, what he's capable of as far as his accuracy, his playmaking ability, all those types of things. Um, I expect him to look better in the fall than he did in the spring, because I imagine that him and those wide receivers have spent a lot of time together this off season. and, And that was something that, um, you know, we've seen it make such a difference for front quarterbacks. This kid is still a young kid. So yeah. he still to me looks like a young quarterback in again, a new offensive system. The third one he's learned in three years, although this one probably is going to feel pretty familiar to him. So I think he looks promising. And I think that a couple weeks into camp, he will have clearly established that he is QB one and, and should be just like he did a year ago. You know, Chandler Morris has had four offensive coordinators in four seasons of oh, college geez. football. Four right? and four. Okay. From his first year at OU, yeah. transferring to TCU, then last year and now this year, right? Like he's had a significant number of, I guess, five and four and five years. Um, okay. Yeah. Something like that. But either way, a lot of offensive coordinators, a lot of different styles of play. Um, he's seen a lot of football. Uh, throughout his college career. Has he played as much football as you want from a guy his age? Probably not at this point. And injuries have had something to do with that. Max Duggan also had a lot to do with that last year specifically. um, And the year prior to that. But, uh, you know, you think about a guy who has waited and waited and waited and been as good a teammate as he could possibly be, even when the cards weren't going as, like nothing was going his way. He was injured. He lost his job. You know, he was still incredibly supportive in the quarterback room last year, uh, incredibly supportive mid-game on the sideline to his teammates. Um, And now he uh, he has this opportunity. I think from a skill set position, I think this is probably the best offense for him to be in as far as they're going to ask him to move a lot in the pocket. They're not going to ask him to to make a ton of different challenging throws. he's going to be able to get the ball out quickly, which means he's going to stay on his feet a lot more, which means he's going to get hit a lot less. Uh, and so you start to think about the situation that he's in, the experience that he has. And now the, like you mentioned the rapport that he's got with some of these wide receivers, he and JP Richardson are roommates, right? So that's, uh, that's music to my right? ears. So is that's what that is. That's one of the, that's one of those things where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, these guys obviously have a good connection on the field because they live together off the field. They're going working out together all the time. JP Richardson said, even in the spring, we're getting out there, we're getting extra throws in, like we're really starting to connect really well. So that's, you know, I expect that to pay dividends this fall. Um, So when you think about a question, like how does Chandler look, I think he looks ready to assume the role of starter. 
Um, I think he's prepared enough. He's been around for a long enough time. I think he's got this, the talent to, to be the number one dude. Uh, and now it's just about going out onto the field, executing week over week, staying healthy, doing the things that take care of your body uh, and just making sure you last for a full season. Yeah. Uh, that leads perfectly into our next question. Will Chandler Morris be the guy that was asked by coach Bryce Mack on Instagram? It was similar questions from Bryce Elliston and Bobby Holly, which is a really fun name to say. I love Bobby Holly. I know. I know Bobby Holly in real life. Great. Bobby human it's Shout giving to Bobby me Holly. like water, water boy vibes. Bobby Holly. You're pretty close. You're pretty close. Uh, love you, Bobby. Love you, Bobby. Uh, will Chandler Morris be the guy TCU needs? I think he will. I, I want to say yes to this question. Um, and I say that because in spite of the injury history, in spite of not having a, as much real game experience as TCU fans maybe want from, from him at this point, we've seen a version of peak Chandler Morris already mm-hmm. in that Baylor game in 2021. And you know, if he can find some version of that more consistently than not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, all right, is he, he's going to throw for 430 yards and run for 70 more every single game. But if he can provide you some of that, like, oh my gosh, look at that play he just made and do that on a consistent basis. Um, I think that's going to go a long way to getting TCU back into that top third, top three kind of big 12 mix and, and vying for another big 12 championship. Um, and I think he's uh, like, we've seen that he has the ability to do it now. How do you, how do you bottle it, replicate it and and stay healthy for a whole season? Kind of like I said, in the last question. I mean, I think to me, the biggest thing is, is that Chandler Morris has to go be himself and be his, the guy he can't go try to be Max Duggan, the guy, right? Like, I think if he can play within himself, he doesn't have to kind of will the team to victory, drag them across the finish line. Like we often saw Max doing, he needs to go and execute at a high level, be an accurate quarterback, you know, make his reads, find the, make the right play at the right time, not try to be a hero, just try to go and and execute an offense. It's really, I think he could be super, super effective in. So will he be the guy? I mean, he kind of has to be the guy. We're going to talk about QB two here in the next question, but at the end of the day, um, Chandler's best equipped and best prepared to take TCU to that 9-10 win, you know, plateau if possible. Um, and I think he certainly has the ability, like all that we've said, he has the ability, he has the skill set to do it. He's got the talent around him. We think um, being the guy for him is going to be stay on the field and play within yourself. And I think he's absolutely capable of doing that this year. Fully agree. Next question at Coach Cashin. I hope I said that right from Twitter. Uh, who is QB two? We lost Morris in game one last year. Who would step up? Uh, quite a few people. TR, TRF 51 on Twitter, Chris Williams, Randy Moultrie, and Soul Kid Parish on Facebook all asked similar questions. Who is QB two? That's a great question again, because you look at Josh Hoover, who's now, I mean, been in the system, even though it's a different offensive coordinator, but who we're going to talk about here in the next question, but looked really good. The spring game has, has, has a lot of raw talent as someone Sonny Dykes identified early as one of the first guys he went to try to go flip um, and, and successfully did so. And then you bring in a, a transfer chance Nolan out of Oregon state, who has a lot of experience as a veteran who's played in power five games and, and big time situations for an Oregon state program that uh, watched the Beavers this year. Just saying, I was, I was talking about that uh, on Twitter a little bit with, with some folks with uh, Keegan, but watch, watch the Beavs, man. They're set up for success this year. So um, 
I think it. I think it's probably going to be Chance Nolan. I don't think you bring him in if you don't expect him to be your backup. Um, but I, I think Hoover is going to come hard for that job in fall camp, and I think he's going to make that decision really difficult. I think he will. Uh, I don't know that it it'll be. Uh, let me re- let me back up. I think he will go hard for for that first that for the number one QB spot. I don't know that he'll make life overly difficult for Chandler, but I think for, he will for be QB two. QB2 oh, for sorry for QB two. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. he. I think Josh Hoover is QB two. I do. Okay. Um, uh, Chance Nolan has more experience than uh, Chandler and Josh combined. Yeah, that's. I mean, just look at look at the pieces of paper under their names, right? Like the, he's got a lot more game experience. I think he's going to lend a lot of wisdom to that quarterback room. He's had some really good moments on the field for Oregon State as well. Um, but I don't think you bring in a Chance Nolan and expect him to be your starter at the beginning of, of the college football season. I think you bring him in as a smart veteran who has game experience, who can play if needed, who's also maybe there to kind of guide and mentor the guy who's supposed to be the quarterback. Um, and that could be Chandler Morris. That could be Josh Hoover. If Chandler goes down, um, and then, you know, if, if Hoover goes down or if Hoover's your number one guy, you still have confidence in who then is the number two guy in Nolan in that quarterback room. It's going to be really interesting because Chance Nolan is a guy that had some other opportunities. He is a, he is a senior. I think this is, I don't think he's a grad transfer. I'm trying to look at how much eligibility that he, he still has left. So he might have, and this is, this is his last year because he's a Juco transfer, um, I don't think he's coming to TCU if he doesn't at least expect to compete for the backup job. I don't think he had any illusion or any promises about his playing time, but um, you don't, you don't come when your final year of eligibility, if you don't think you're going to have a shot to play on any level. So that competition between Josh and and chance is going to be really interesting to watch all through the fall for sure. I fully agree. Uh, uh, Math underscore 75 on Twitter. Are we sure that Chandler is a lock? Hoover looked better in my humble opinion in the spring game. I mean, look, I'll say this. Sonny Dykes has not explicitly said at any point that Chandler Morris is his starter. Yeah. He didn't say it at all in big 12 media days. He didn't say it during spring. He didn't say it, but if you look at what's happening, like if you looked at what happened on the practice field during spring, if you look at how Sonny is answering questions about Chandler Morris, as I mean, there are, there were plenty of opportunities at Big Twelve Media Days for Sonny to reject the premise of questions that were asked to him that were framed around Chandler Morris being the starting quarterback, and so uh, he didn't do that. He didn't talk about open competition the same way that he did this time last year. Um, so if you kind of start reading the tea leaves like that, if he's not currently atop the depth chart, he is probably the assumed starter as you head into fall camp. There was no assumed starter heading into fall camp last year. And so are we sure that he's going to be the guy kind of go back to my other answers to, to answer that question. Yeah. I think he's got all of the things he needs to be the guy. Um, But I do think that there is some decent depth to this quarterback room that should something happen to Chandler, whether it be performance or injury uh, TC will still be okay at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, 
Sonny certainly didn't try to dissuade anyone from talking about Chandler as a starter, but he also didn't bring Chandler to media days and, mm-hmm. you know, neither did half of the other big 12 teams. So yeah. um, I, I think he goes in with, you know, he's kind of at the front of the path. Um, but I also think Sonny Dykes is smart enough as a coach to, if Chandler is not performing or doesn't look ready during fall camp, then he, that's why he brings in Chance Nolan. You yep. know, that's why he develops Josh Hoover. So Hoover did look great in the spring game. It was awesome to see, but also it's spring game. You know, it's still a kid that's never taken a snap in a power five game. Um, or maybe he did. He had like a run play or something, right? I think he took like one last year. So um, hmm. he's, he's not going, I don't think he's going to beat out Chandler unless Chandler takes a step backward. Um, so I, I think we go in expecting him to be QB one, but um, I, I think, you know, just, just like anything, it, it's certainly not, you don't have a returning starter. So it's every option is open. I agree. I agree. Let's see here. A Sullivan music from Twitter asks, do we have a quarterback who can squat 600 pounds? That's, that's so much weight. We have a, a new defensive lineman commit that can squat 675 though. Right. Yes. Yes, we can. That's, Six, that's, 25, 650, I, something like that. It was a lot. Over was a 600 lot pounds. Yeah, Over 600 pounds. Uh, kid from, from North Crowley, defensive end, committed to TCU over Baylor and Houston and SMU and a couple other schools as well. Kid Baylor uh, really, really wanted. Um, Sterling Brooks, who, uh, yeah, posted a video. That, that was from December 2022, by yeah. the way, yeah, where he was squatting. Now. He was squatting over 600 pounds and he actually recently quote tweeted that tweet. Sorry, that Zeet and um, said that he was going to hit a new PR of 700 soon. So I don't think anybody in the quarterback room is squatting 600 these days, but believe me when I tell you TCU's got plenty of, uh, of quote unquote hog mollies who uh, can throw some weight around in yeah. the there gym. Been some great clips on social media showing them doing just that. Uh, I knew I was going to end up having to read this question. Oh, Oh God. Okay. At dog Elon Musk Jr. <laughs> on X. It gets worse, Jamie. How tall is Chandler Morris? Hearing he is anywhere from 5'11 to a giant after the summer. Please confirm reports. I mean, he's somewhere between that. Yeah. It's closer to 5'11 than giant, but yeah, I feel like him that. and I are almost eye to eye. He might be a little bit taller than I am, and I'm just just under 5'11, probably. So yeah. I think I think that what we'll be told is probably six foot six one in the media guide. That'd be my guess, but you'll mm-hmm. probably measure out closer to five eleven at the combine. I'd say okay. that's I'd say yeah. that's accurate. And look, I mean, for whatever reason, right now TCU's quarterback room doesn't have a lot of guys over six two, yeah. really and doesn't. that's just kind of how it works out. Um, the guys that are committed to TCU football right now, as well for the twenty four and twenty five classes, yeah. kind of lean more into the Chandler Morris frame than say a KJ Jefferson or even a Max Duggan. Um, But if that's the kind of quarterback that you want in this system, that's the kind of quarterback that you want to win games at the college football level. then that's the quarterback you go out and And get. And that's, that's perfectly fine, right? There are plenty of colleges across the country where uh, a more quote unquote prototypical NFL quarterback will go. Mm-hmm. That's not TCU right now because that's not the offense TCU runs. Yeah. Um, but TCU did pretty well with an offense last year uh, that didn't have, quote unquote, a prototypical quarterback size person playing quarterback. So just the, that, that's a point where you just kind of trust the coaching staff and, and move yeah. on, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. 
All right. Thanks for that one, dog. Elon Musk Jr. As uh, so we round out our quarterback section and move on to wide. Like the junior yeah, just really just gets really, me. Really brings it all together. Uh, let's move on to wide receivers though, Melissa. And we are going to start with at Frog Truth 101 on Twitter. What does the outside receiver position alongside Savion Williams look like? Uh, Andy Swain, Coach Cashin, Jackson 21 Taylor on Twitter all asked similar questions to this one. So it's kind of pres- uh, assumed, and maybe it's a strong assumption, that Savion Williams will be one of the outside wide receivers for TCU this upcoming season. Uh, if you had to take a guess or a gander, who else is starting at outside wide receiver for the Horn Frogs this year? Gosh, that's a that is a great question. I'm I'm going down the list right now. I think there's still a couple guys that we aren't sure what they're going to be classified as position wise, you know, or, or maybe have dealt with some injuries. I I don't know if it's a little bit over the top to say, but man, I would not be shocked at all if Cordell Russell is competing for one of those outside spots as a true freshman. Um, with his size, his ability, just his natural talent, just his his ability to catch the football. Like he he has special hands, I think, from everything that we've seen and heard. Um it would not shock me if he's the first guy lined up opposite opposite Savion on against Colorado. Yeah, I think that's kind of the assumption is it's going to be those two guys outside for for the bulk of of time. Yeah. Um I, I mean you look at how this roster has been constructed the last few years. And you've got a couple guys who are six, four, six, five, and then everyone else is more kind of like inside receiver yeah. slot receiver build. Uh, there's, I mean, Jack Besh, the LSU transfer. Yeah. He's the other one. Uh, I was is, thinking. is another guy who but, could probably fit into that mix as well. Yeah. But I mean, he was de- technically classified as a tight end at LSU. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot more experience receiving kind of on the inside there. Um, but look, I think, uh, when you have those two guys in Cordell and Savion, um, there's a real opportunity there with Quentin Johnson walking out the door for both of them to step up and step into bigger roles this season. Uh, and it's, it, it'll probably be pretty nice to have them out there with some consistency uh, to give Chandler Morris some consistency. You know, I think that was a complaint of TCU fans before last year for the last several years under Gary Patterson was, God, it doesn't feel like they're letting wide receivers stay in the game long enough to build any kind of a rapport yeah. with their with their quarterback. Uh, and so when you have two guys who have the size and the skill set of a Cordell Russell and Savion Williams, giving them ample opportunity to go out there and show that they can do it on the football field isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, it's it's going to be fun to watch. I, I mean, there, the, the, there's a lot of options, a lot of ways you can kind of mix and match those wide receivers. But I, I think you're right. Those are the two guys I expect to see out there the most. Mm-hmm. Uh at GMFP underscore on Twitter uh, wants to move us inside. How big of a role will Jojo Earl have? I think it's going to be pretty big. You know, you talk about the wide receivers that TCU lost last year. A lot of the conversation nationally, like on podcasts and stuff, the athletic, uh, you know, 24 seven CBS, all these other, they're going to talk about losing Quentin Johnston. That's who they're going to talk about losing. It's almost as big a loss, if not a bigger loss, to lose both Tay Barber and Darius Davis off of last year's roster as well because of the amount of consistent production that they gave you in that intermediate passing game, uh, that screen game, all that kind of stuff, the sweeps, everything that they did. And so when you talk about a JoJo Earl coming in from a skill set and a talent position, that's the role that you're hoping he fills as a TCU fan this year is can he be Darius Davis? Can he be Tay Barber and be that consistent presence inside in the slot for Chandler Morris? 
Uh, and I think he will be. I think J.P. Richardson and him will both kind of fill those Darius Davis, Tay Barber roles. I think J.P. has a little bit more ability to also flip to the outside if necessary. But neither of them, JoJo and, and uh, J.P., I mean, they're both under six feet. And they both have that kind of slot receiver build. Um, and, and I fully expect both of them to be very heavily involved in the passing game this season. Yeah, I think JoJo, again, if he's healthy, he's just so special. You know, he's mm-hmm. so quick. He's so fluid in his hips. Um, you know, one of the things that Sonny Dykes talked about is that he thinks he is the most natural punt returner he's ever seen. He mentioned mm-hmm. that at Media Days. Um, and so I think we'll see a lot of JoJo in the return game as well. And that's where it's going to be interesting because I do think the strength of this wide receiver unit is with the interior receivers. When you talked about all of those guys, JP and JoJo and that, you know, Jack Besh and, and what they can do on the, the middle of the field. I think there's so much talent that you can really have a rotation in there. Um, and if JoJo is effective as a punt returner, we saw how important Darius Davis was in that role season ago and how many times he flipped the field or, you know, made a, had a huge moment in a game to, to completely change the tenor of that game. Um, I think JoJo Earl is going to be very, very important to TCU, not just on offense, but in special teams as well. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's really excelling there, if that does impact how many routes he's running the rest of the game. But we saw Darius Davis get plenty of touches, but in both regards. So I, I think, I think he will be a big part of this offense. Absolutely. Look, Dar- Dar- the Darius Davis equation got him to the NFL. Yeah, so, so true. like, I mean, if that's, if that's what Jojo Earl fills as a role this year, sign me up. Yeah. Seriously. Sign means. me up for that. I'm, I'm here, means. here for that. Um, at TCU frogs first from Twitter asks who is getting wide receiver touches. We kind of hit it a little bit, but Melissa, go ahead and tell me, Give me your top four reception leaders for TCU Ooh. 2023. Who Ooh, do you think, like who do you think the top four reception leaders are going to be? Well, after you just told me that JP Richardson and Chandler Morris are rooming <laughs> together, like he immediately vaults into the top two for me. I don't know if he will be one or two, um, but I think he's definitely in there. Uh, I think if TC is going to be successful, Savion Williams probably needs to be in that top four. Um, and man, I just, I think we all want Savion Williams breakout season. I think he'll be there. Um, third, so this is where it starts to get really interesting because mm-hmm. you got a lot of guys that do a lot of the same things, um, but do them in a different way. I, I think we just hyped up Jojo Earl. Let's put him top three. And then I am going to go, I, I really want to put Jack Besh in there, but I, I have to see what his role is. So I'm going to go Jared Wiley. Uh, Jared looked cut at yep. media days. Mm-hmm. Like that dude looked like he was made of granite. He is coming with the right attitude. Um, He came back specifically to, I think, build his portfolio and to raise his stock for an NFL future. And I think that there is going to be a huge tight end role in this offense. And he has a chance to really capitalize on that. Yes. So you stole my sleeper. He's technically not a wide receiver, um, but we didn't get any tight end questions. And so I was going to definitely shout out Jared Wiley in this sec- in, in this section as well. I got, but I got to go first. So. You did. You got to go first uh, because of my own damn rules. So, uh, but you get, yeah. So Jared Wiley, I think is going to end up probably top four in receptions on this team this year. If he's not, then either someone had a great breakout or something else yeah. weird happened. But um, I think JP Richardson ends the season as a receptions leader. I do. Um, I agree with you. Savion Williams needs to be in the top four for this to be a successful year offensively for TCU. Um after that, though, I think it, you're right, it does open up a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy that maybe we haven't talked enough about so far on this episode, 
because we haven't really mentioned him at all, uh, is, is Major Everhart, a yeah. sophomore who was a running back in high school, converted wide receiver when he got here, was recruited as a wide receiver by Doug Meacham, who kind of really latched onto him as one of the key guys that he wanted to bring in for last year's recruiting class. Um, obviously was playing behind some really talented guys in the slot last year, still in some moments last year, looked really, really good with the ball in his hands. And that's another kind of sleeper guy who, if Major Everhart starts to really pick up some steam and, and be a consistent presence on the field for TCU, I think some fun and, and really interesting things can happen. Yeah, I, I love that pick. I, like, there's got to be one of these guys is going to break out midway through the season. We're going to be like, ah, oh, we should have talked about him. Yeah, and, and I mean, got a great shot to be that like, guy. we haven't even mentioned DJ Allen, who's coming yeah. back off of an injury. We haven't mentioned uh, Jalen Robinson, who spent yeah. time at Ole Miss and UCF in his career. We haven't mentioned Chase Jackson. Like, we haven't mentioned Blake Nowell, um, Warren Thompson, who's coming from Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, alongside Kendall Browse, doesn't didn't necessarily play a ton uh, while at Arkansas, but is a guy who can probably come in and help some of these other receivers get adjusted to Kendall's yeah. offense pretty quickly. Um, I mean, Jordan Bailey is another one, younger brother of Amani Bailey, who's coming in as a freshman who might see some time. Like, there is there is no doubt in my mind that there is an incredible depth of talent at yeah. wide receiver for TCU. The fun part about fall camp, especially, is we're going to see how kind of all of that talent sorts itself out. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be fun to see who, what combinations that they put together to run on this offense. Um, mm-hmm. Do we have speed at wide receiver like we did last year, asked West Texas Frog on Twitter? <sighs> yeah? Theoretically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. The top-end speed probably isn't there simply because Darius Davis was mm-hmm. at some points a generational runner last year with the ball in his hands. I mean, he hit top speeds last year. That that's the, the, um, uh, Oh my gosh. Next gen, next gen stats, right? The next gen stats, but no, yeah. the, his run on the sweep against SMU where he the hit fastest, 23 miles an hour. Yeah. That was the fastest run, not only at the collegiate level last year, but also in the NFL. Yeah. So that's the kind of speed we're talking about with Darius Davis, Darius Davis, Darius uh, Davis. Overall, though, I think there is team speed more spread out among the wide receivers this year than maybe there was last year when you start to talk about J.P. Richardson and JoJo Earl and Major Everhart and some of these other guys that are uh, – Jalen uh, Robinson is another burner. Uh, at running back, you've got Corey Wren, who's got incredible speed as well. Uh, I think there's a lot of speed on this team. I don't know that we'll see the top-end speed like Darius Davis had, but we will see consistently – very, very fast people on the football field for TCU. Yeah, there, there may not be that elite, elite speed, but there's still a lot of special speed. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think that's going to be something that quote unquote slows TCU's offense down. Yeah. Uh, last question in the wide receivers group at TRF51 from Twitter asks, who is going to be that dude at wide receiver, the one who will demand double coverage to free up others? I don't I don't know that there's a guy in this roster right now that demands double coverage. Like maybe in in certain situations. But uh, I think that's going to be a prove it. I, I don't see I don't see a guy right there that that teams are going to be ga- like Colorado's not going to be looking at this guy week one and say we've got to double team him or he's going to beat us or this is the guy we can't let beat us. There's not a Quentin Johnston today, but Quentin Johnston wasn't demanding that a year ago either, right? So I, I think everyone knew how special he could be, but he had to go out and kind of dominate in order to earn that, and and that's what we're going to have to wait and see is who earns that early. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fully, fully agree. Melissa, let's move on to running backs. Let's do it. All right. First question from Galen Morrison on Facebook. Who will 
TCU's number one running back B. We also got this um, from Armando J. Lafitte on Facebook, um, who asked a very similar question as well. Who's RB1? Trey Sanders. I mean, yeah. it's it's got to be Trey Sanders. I think, you know, if he's fully healthy, first of all, I don't know if everybody realizes the level of injuries that, yeah. that Trey Sanders suffered while at Alabama. He was in a horrifying car wreck where the first reports from the emergency doc medical staff that was tending to him when they made contact with the Alabama coaching staff, they said, we have one of your players in our hospital and we think he's going to live. Huh. That was, that was the extent of, of the injuries to his leg, to his uh, mid midsection, um, to his hips. Uh, they didn't know if he was going to survive when he, when he came out of this car wreck and here he is back playing football again. Um, so just from a health and recovery standpoint, Truly, truly a miracle that Trey Sanders is even in the position yeah. that he's in um, and to be in a position that he's in and be able to probably assert himself pretty quickly as the legitimate number one running back on this roster, I think is is very impressive. He's got all of the things he needs to be that he's he's so freaking big. So he big. is so big. Like you think of, oh, man, TCU's had some pretty like big bodied running backs. And you think of of, uh, you know, Kendra, who's kind of built like a Hummer. Right. Like he's a big dude and he's fast as hell. Yeah. Uh, Trace, Trace Sanders is bigger. And I'm yeah. talking like several inches taller, many pounds bigger than Kendra Miller. Maybe not quite as fleet of foot, but has incredible balance, can read, read uh, the line very well, understands where he's supposed to be and when he's supposed to be there. Has good, good enough getaway speed from the, the second level of linebackers. Also isn't afraid of contact. Uh, I mean, he has everything he needs. I mean, he was a, this was a five-star kid out of high school, right? And injuries derailed what, what he was trying to do at Alabama. If he can be fully healthy, I don't know that he'll get back necessarily to being the five-star kid he was out of high school, but I think he can be a very good, if not great running back for TCU this season. Well, you think about like that car accident and, you know, we're a little bit older than Trey, but with, I, I've been in those accidents and it might take six months for your back just to feel like you can walk around normally. Now try getting prepared to go and run into very, very large humans mm -hmm. for five months. So I, I think he's two years out from that now, I believe. And he's had some other kind of nicks along the way, but if he's healthy, I think he's obviously the guy. Again, we, we talked about what his teammates said about him at media days, how much they believed in him um, and, and how great they think he looks. I think he's going to be number one. Uh, but again, there's it's just like we talked about with wide receivers, there's a really nice depth of talent in that space. Um, there can be a nice rotation. He's not going to have to carry the ball 30 times a game, but I, but I bet he's, you know, in that 14 to 17 range, most of the time, if not more um, when they really need to grind out a win. Yes. Fully agree. Next question under running backs uh, from Coach Cashin on Twitter, running back depth chart order. So Trey is number one. Yep, we've established that. Trey Sanders, probably number one. Um, I'm going to say Imani Bailey, too. Yeah, I agree. Um, he had some really good breakaway speed last year. Didn't have as much running time as you maybe thought he would because of just how, how good Kendry was and then how much Amari DiMercato improved last year. Um Behind him, I'm probably going to say Trent Battle. And then Cam Cook, the incoming freshman, is probably number four. Corey Wren's in a tough spot as a burner who is still just kind of working his way back from injuries. He's had a yeah. couple injuries throughout his career. He's going to have to work pretty hard uh, to see to see the field at running back. Um, but I would go Trey, Imani, Trent, and then Cam Cook as kind of the four man. 
I think you're right. Um, I think Cam Cook is another guy who's been spoken very highly of coming coming out of spring ball. Um, he's another guy that uh, Sonny Dykes mentioned by name at media days. But I, I think when you look at, um, you know, just the way that depth chart uh, shapes out and, the, and what Trent Battle is good at, I, I think you're right. I think he's kind of got the early lead. I think we I would not be surprised to see four different guys line up in that backfield on a regular basis. So for sure, for sure. And I think that's that's going to be probably the most consistent thing is that you're going to see a lot of different guys back there. A lot of questions about the offensive line. That was it. Just two on running backs, but the offensive line is full of questions and that's fair when three guys go end up in pro camps. Mm-hmm. Um, first one comes from Eric and Dill. I, I said Lil C I think is what it is. Eric okay. and Lil C or maybe Eric. And the, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's great. Yeah. Mad Max Duggan also asked a similar question. How much depth do we have at the offensive line? Um, I think you and I probably have in discussions have maybe not seen it the same way that Sonny Dykes said it at media days. Yeah. Um, so I also am realizing that D Duncan soul from Twitter asked a similar question to this. He, he basically said a good OL goes seven to eight deep. Do we have that kind of depth to feel good about? So I'm going to delete that real quick. Cause Duncan's got some other questions in here. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, first and foremost, they brought in two pretty important transfers and Willis Patrick from Jackson State and Colton Deary from Maryland. Um, you can kind of assume that Patrick's probably going to start at left guard. Deary's going to start at center. He started at center for 10 games last year for the for the Terps. Um, you've got John Lands probably starting at right guard. You've got Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker at tackles. So you're staying consistent at, at the tackle position on both sides of the line. Um, and then after that, I mean, you've got Marcus Williams, you've got Michael Nichols, if he can stay healthy. Uh, you've got Garrett Hayes, who has played a lot of guard this spring after a, a brief stint of trying to play defensive line. Um, and so, I mean, that's eight right there. How confident are you in those other three that aren't starting? I don't know. Um, but I think that they, as from a bodies standpoint, TCU has the bodies to have a decent enough offensive line to get the job done. Um, how quickly will that all come together? I think we're going to know pretty quickly into fall camp how quickly that will all come together. Yeah, I think that's my concern is I feel pretty good about that starting five, assuming they can they can all kind of come together as a unit. I mean, that was one of the secret sauces for the Horned Frogs last year was the fact that all five of those guys started every game together. Like when your offensive line plays all the time together, you're better, period. Plus, they were so veteran. Um, So I don't know that that I'm as confident in that, like you said, eight bodies but eight guys that can play and play at a level without much of a drop-off. I'm less, I'm more concerned about that. Uh, Sonny Dykes talked about being H10 guys deep on the offensive line. That's where he believes they are, but that's also what you say at media days. And so um, I think that's, that is among, if not the biggest question, it's certainly the biggest question offensively that TCU Mm -hmm. is facing. Um, I I feel really good about the five guys you named starting. I I think that that can be a really strong unit after that. uh, You're just hoping for health. You really are. And I mean, they've got, they've got uh, some other guys too. I mean, Ezra Dotson Oteade is, oh yeah, Tade, sorry, uh, is in his second year here from Arizona State. You've got Quentin Harris, who's in his second year. You've got 
Uh, Robbie Rochester, who transferred from UConn before last season, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, they, I mean, they they've got the bodies. They've yeah. got the bodies. It's year two under AJ Ricker. It's year two under Cause. So you know, you take in all of those factors, and uh, again, I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a Steve Avila on this team. I don't know yeah. that there's an Alana Lee on this team. Um, but they, uh, there is enough. There is enough potential there. I think to have hope that the offensive line uh, will not be too big of a point of weakness for this thing uh, moving into the season. It's not nothing, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions rightfully to ask. um, But, but there's certainly the potential for this to be a really, really good unit. Now it's just going to be up to them to show they can do it. Yeah. And that kind of leads into this next question, which is from at the Duncan soul on Twitter. Can Willis Patrick transition from an FCS player to a power five offensive lineman and can Deary replicate Ali's success at center? Um, I'm going to say yes. And I don't know. Um, I am not worried about Patrick Willis. Maybe I should be, but he's absolutely Willis Patrick. developed Willis Patrick. Dang it. I did. I keep saying specifically, don't say Patrick Willis. And then I say, <laughs> I'm sorry. I grew up a 49ers fan. What do you want from me? Fair um, I think Willis Patrick is going to be good. Maybe I'm way too excited about him, but I am not at all worried about him. I think he's going to be great. Um, I think it's asking a lot to um, replicate and what Colton for, Colton Deary to be expected to live up to Alana Ali because what Alana Ali brought in addition to just his play on the field was just his knowledge of the system and how he brought everybody else up to speed. And Colton Deary certainly is not going to be in an advantageous position for that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't expect him to be Alana Ali, um, but if he can just get the ball where it needs to go consistently and make sure he calls the the rushers out consistently and he keeps Chandler Morris from getting absolutely murdered in the backfield, then he will have done his job. And I think him doing his job is what we need to expect from him this year. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I mean, you're talking about replacing a sixth year senior with yeah. a sophomore. And so despite all of the other things, like you, I think you named it perfectly. Alana Lee was with Garrett Riley. He understood the offense and the expectations and was able to get guys up to speed. Colton Deary is coming in and learning a new system, learning all of his teammates, some of whom are also new. Uh, It's a very different situation when you start to compare Ali to um, Deary. Willis Patrick made some really good progress from the beginning of spring to the end of spring. I think I would have answered this question about Willis differently in January than I will now, which is to say, yes, I do think he makes the transition and I think he makes it quite well. Um, He got into shape a lot better this spring than he was before he got on campus. He understands the talent, I think, better at this level of football now you're going to learn that pretty quickly when you're having to block guys like Don yeah. Williams. Yeah. Um, and so I think that grew him up a lot in the spring uh, was to go against some of the TCU defensive linemen and to understand kind of what was expected from an offensive lineman at this level. So I do think we're going to see that growth to that growth continue into the fall. Um, and hopefully it's like, like, like you said with theory, hopefully it's enough for him to just be able to do his job, keep Chandler off, off the, off the dirt. And uh uh, you know, just, just be a consistent positive, right? Don't, 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 don't get caught holding. Don't get offsides penalties. Yeah. Don't do all the things that set your team behind the chains. Just go out there and consistently do your job. Uh, last question on the offensive line. How well will the O-line mesh? This was asked by TRF 51 on Twitter, as well as Andy Swain five and Bryce Elliston had similar questions. 
I think they've all meshed pretty well at this point outside of Deary. I mean, Deary got here in June, so he wasn't able to work out with people in the spring, which is kind of a bummer. But, uh, you know, I think having him here since June, these guys have had the opportunity to get to know each other. Offensive linemen uh, are pretty good at, at getting along um, most of the time. We saw an incredibly tight-knit group last year. A lot of that was because of Steven Alon. But a lot of that was also because of Brandon Coker or Brandon, sorry, Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. Um, those guys had a big vocal presence in that room. They're going to do the same thing this year. And now kind of in the absence of Steven Al- and Alon, um, I, I think they have a real opportunity to step up and, and be more of that vocal leadership that the offensive linemen need. So I, I, I don't think they will have a problem meshing. I, I think I'll be curious to see how those those friendships and those relationships bear out when they are blocking as a unit. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing where Sunny Dykes and company have kind of earned um, a little bit of um, expectation is building team chemistry. They did such a great job at that. That team is so tight knit. Um, a lot of that credit probably goes to Kaz Kazadi as well um, for what mm-hmm. they do in the weight room. The, the culture I know that word gets thrown around so much, but the culture at TCU right now is really, really strong. Now they're going to face some adversity probably earlier in the season than they did a year ago. You know, there might be, there's more eyeballs on them. So maybe that impacts things, but uh, while there's not a ton of vocal leadership that hasn't really been established, there's a lot of strong leaders and just really stand up human beings on this roster. So I don't really worry about guys being able to come together in position groups. I think there's a healthy competition, but there's also hey, we got to heights never before seen by this program because we all understood our role. We were all willing to do our job. That's the secret to success. And so, I mean, we were at the national championship game, the Fiesta Bowl, time and time again, when you talk to players, especially the guys that had transferred, I came here because I wanted to win. And I think that winning obviously cures a lot of ills in a locker room. Um, and so that this team is committed to wiping the bad taste of the national championship game out of their mouth, which is something they all acknowledged that they were committed to at media days, which was kind of refreshing. Um, then I, I think that, you know, the offensive line among the other position groups is not going to have too much of an issue being a tight knit unit that, that is there to serve the best interests of the entire program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's flip over to the other side of the football, Melissa, and let's talk defense here. We have a defensive overview question from Jerry Jones. On Facebook, I don't think it's the real Jera, but it that, is a real interesting. It yeah. is a real Jerry Jones uh, and John John Johnson on Facebook also had a similar comment slash question about defensive improvement. Do yeah. you think the defense will improve this year over last year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's unquestionable. You've got second year in a system. It's such a dramatic change from anything TCU players that were already on the roster had seen previously. Um, you're returning almost the entire secondary. So you've got a lot of, of experience there. I mean, I think there are question marks, you know, on the defensive line and linebackers. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that more tonight, but Um, At the end of the day, I think that the guys will understand their assignments a little bit better. And so even if you lose some top end talent, like a D Winters, like a Dylan Horton, guys like that, I think the unit will function as a whole more strongly. And I just, I am really, I have so much faith in the secondary. Um, I I think they're really going to set the tone and they can cover a lot of mistakes at the first two levels early on. I think so. Um, And I think their expertise also will allow you to like blitz more. Yes. Um, this upcoming season, because you trust those guys in the secondary to maybe hold on to their guys in man for a little bit longer. Uh, they, they understand more of what's expected from them 
uh, from Joe Gillespie, Paul Gonzalez, Carlton Buckles, that whole staff. So Great. Uh, really excited to see how they improve. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that they improved last year over 2021 as well, pretty dramatically yeah. from a defensive improvement standpoint. Uh, they were one of the most improved defenses in college football last year. The bar was relatively low. Um, but improvement was still seen on the field and, uh, there's no reason to, to expect anything different coming into yeah. 2023. Um, narrowing down a little bit to talk about the defensive line, Jackson 21 Taylor on Twitter asks, how good will the defensive line core be Crick's TV and Joseph Wilson also had similar questions. And, you know, I think it's, it's such a fascinating group because you have a proven talent in Dom Williams coming back, moving to the edge, playing a different role. You've got a lot of, of really quality pieces, but I don't know that outside of him that there's another star and he's basically ostensibly changing positions this year. So um, I don't know that, that you're going to have a dominant player like you know we saw dylan horton just just take over games at times um but i think you'll have a lot of depth and a lot of consistency uh you know it's you're gonna need guys like time mitchell and caleb fox to really step up and play big roles i know people are really excited about marcus deal and um, he had a great uh or they they think he's could be impactful as a true freshman um paul oyewale got a lot of positive publicity like last fall coming in as a true freshman he comes back uh, there's certainly uh, there's certainly talent. There's not a shortage of talent. Uh, you get Sonny Misi back, who's got a ton of experience. But um, I, we're, this question is going to get asked later. I don't know that there's a that there's a dog, you know, on that line outside of Don Mitchell. I, I think that that we'll find out somebody that we haven't necessarily thought about or talked about is going to step up and, and play a big role. But you know, you think back to those four years of struggle and the pass rush was a huge issue. So if, if they can't find a way to generate a strong pass rush, it makes the, the rest of that defense suffer. So um, I, I think they will be more than serviceable. I think they will be strong. I don't think they will be one of the best units in the big 12, but I think that they'll hold their own. Yeah. This is probably the, the, the position group that I'm most concerned about mm. on TCU's roster this season. Um, as we kind of slide into the next question, who's, who will be the starters at DE? You know, I think it's going to be Dom really. Uh, he, he did, work out at edge a lot this year. I think ultimately though, you will see him at that, that nose that, that defensive tackle spot for the bulk of his playing time. They'll, they'll move him out on the edge at times as well. Um, but I think, I mean, it's Caleb Fox and probably Paul Oyewale are going to be your starting defensive ends on this thing. Um, but I don't know that any one defensive end is going to get the bulk of the playing time. Like you might talk about it running back, or wide receiver for this team. I think you're going to see a big, heavy rotation, uh, including a lot of guys that you mentioned, Melissa, Tymon Mitchell, Sony Misi, um, you know, Connor Lindgren, if he can stay healthy, is probably going to be a guy that gets some playing time. Sonny brought him up uh, at media days. Marcus Steele, you've mentioned. Uh, another kid who got a lot of praise last year as a true freshman and is ex- it, people are expecting some things from him this year is Michael Abukuno Coyote. Uh, a defensive end from Garland who's entering his retro freshman year. Big like dude. Tall. Big Not dude. 6'6, 250. Yeah. Like he's a big dude. Could probably still afford to frame up a little, like put yeah. some more weight on that frame. Um, you mentioned time on Mitchell. Um, Rick DeBrayu, the transfer from East Carolina, is going to have, have some uh, opportunity to get some playing time as well. So, uh, like you said, there's, there's probably not a dude. Um, there's, but there's, there's some opportunity there, I think, for guys to step up and, and show that they're, they're capable. 
And I think we've we've kind of talked about this too. Um, but TRF fifty one asks us who's going to be our war daddy on the edge. We've kind of answered this question, but I just wanted to include this on the run sheet because of the phrase war daddy. Yeah. Um, So the first person to get multiple sacks in a single game this year will officially earn the title of war daddy. I think we have war daddy of the week. Yeah. War daddy of the week. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, We're going to do war daddy of the week this year. Perfect. That's going to be great to say war daddy as many times as possible. So many times. Very much looking forward to that. Um, As we move on though, to the linebacker position, the first couple of questions uh, surround a guy who did not play a ton last year because of an injury to his knee. Um, Eric sports at Eric sports, three sixty AZ on Twitter asks, is there a health update on Marcel Brooks coming off of a knee injury? I think that there was a question. I, I know that there was a question asked from a uh, two sunny dykes about Marcel Brooks health. It, it seems like he's healthy. I think we need to be really careful. Um, having too high of expectations for Marcel. I mean, he was such a visible part of that roster. Despite his injury, he was so active on the sidelines. Him and I had a lot of high fives and hugs when I was down uh, taking taking photos at games, which was really fun. Um, he's such an emotional and vocal leader for this team. But um, he has not had the opportunity to play a lot of football. And he had a great fall camp. Everyone was very, very excited about him. And then he got hurt and missed the entire season. So um, to me, I look at this as anything that Marcel Brooks gives us as a positive um, I actually feel a lot better about linebacker depth today than I did, you know, even, even just a couple of months ago. Um, I think there's still some question marks there, but, um, Marcel being healthy adds an element of just sheer athleticism, much like Shadrach Banks that we saw Shad really come on strong at the end of the year too. Um, if he plays and contributes, I look at that as a bonus. Um, and it looks like he should be healthy for the start of fall camp as far as anything that Sonny talked about at media days. Yeah, I yeah to lead into the next question, which is from our good friend Colin Post. Will Marcel finally get a starting role? I would be very surprised if yeah. Marcel was starting for this team this fall, just because of the injury history and and where he is at his recovery. And like Melissa said, you got to kind of temper your expectations, I think, for him uh, at this point in his career. Um, so I, I I I think that he's definitely going to be a contributor on this mm-hmm. team how that looks and what that looks like. I'm not exactly sure yet. There might even be an opportunity to let him get back to his roots as a freshman at, at LSU and say, Hey, on certain downs, certain situations, we just want you to pin your ears back and go hit that quarterback. Um, And maybe, maybe let him do the thing that he is absolutely best at, which is get to the guy with the football as quickly as possible and put them in the deck in the dirt. If that's his role, I feel really, really good about that being his role. Um, Next question from D. Duncan Soul, uh, Shad or OBAZAR at the SAM? I think we're, we're going to see a rotation of guys. I don't know that any okay. single guy is going to take over that D winner's role on a permanent basis. That would be, I think, pretty unfair, especially early in the season, to just tell one guy, hey, you got to go out there and be what D winners was for this program yeah. last year. Um, I think that Shad probably has the edge right now because he's been playing that role for much longer. Um, but Namdi Obiezor is sliding down from safety to linebacker because they want to find ways to get him on the field. He's a really smart kid. He's really capable. He's very athletic. He's got the ability to, to bulk up a little bit and not lose too much speed. Um, so he's definitely a guy who, who could come in and eventually maybe take over that role, mostly full-time um, near maybe the middle back half of the season. Um, but another guy to, to look out for in this role too 
uh, which kind of goes into the, this kind of blends in with the final question, yeah. who takes the third LB spot? Uh, Jonathan Bax has come in as a true freshman, mm-hmm. got here for spring, does not look in any way like a freshman, um, big dude. He, he is an inch taller and five pounds heavier right now than wow. D winners was last year. He's a big wow. dude. He's an athletic freak. And I, w- I, just like I said, with, with Namdi, I wouldn't be surprised if Jonathan Bax was a guy getting a ton of snaps at that position, uh, you know, by, by seasons. end, I think that they've got an opportunity to really kind of feel out who fits best alongside Jamoy Hodge and Johnny Hodges, who works best in that unit uh, and kind of roll with that guy. And, and based on the circumstances, make changes as needed. I will say it's, it's undoubtedly though, uh, a fact that TCU has more linebacker depth than they did last year. And uh, a lot of that was because of injuries, right? I mean, you lost uh, Terrence Cook Jr. to a torn ACL last year. Um, you know, you lost. I'm trying to look now. Zach Marchiselli, uh, Thomas, Ar- Thomas Armstrong Thomas, yeah, was lost, out game one. Yeah, you lost Thomas Armstrong, who was supposed to both. I mean, you lost your entire second string of linebackers in the first yeah. two weeks of the season last year. And so, you know, as long as they stay healthy, right, key, yeah. They're going to have more linebacker depth. They're going to have more opportunities for guys to cycle in, which I think is going to benefit the linebackers as a unit in the long run, because you're not going to be asking Johnny and Jamoy to play, you know, 65, 70 snaps a game for, for 12, 13, 14 weeks. You can maybe pull them back to 45 to 50 and uh, get some other guys in, into that rotation as well. Keep everybody fresh for just a little bit longer. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key as, as I do like the depth and rotation. You mentioned Terrence Cooks. You know, if he's healthy, that, that's another highly thought of recruit. And yeah, I think we're, we all expect to see a lot of Jonathan backs early. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to the defensive backs, there's only one question about D-backs, which is surprising to me, I guess maybe because that's the place that most people feel comfortable with. Um, Coach Cashian on Twitter, who will start opposite Josh Newt, the cornerback? Uh, if I had to put money on it right now, uh, which I don't think I'm allowed to do, and I don't think there's a prop op- option anywhere f- for that to happen, I would say Avery Helm, the transfer yeah. from Florida, is is going to be the dude opposite Josh. He is a very physical guy. And yeah. uh, the next time you have the chance to talk to Josh Newton, Melissa, ask him about Avery Helm. He lights really? up. He lights up. And it's so cool to see. Um, and, we, and we've talked at length about Josh on – many, many a podcast about how good of a leader is a great of a human being he is. He's very excited. I think to play across from Avery Helm. Um, that's not that he wasn't excited last year playing yeah. across sure. from the Jim Thorpe yeah. winner, but Avery is, I think kind of cut from the same, uh, a similar cloth as Josh. And so when you talk about having two of those kind of men- mentally strong, physically tough, athletically capable guys playing cornerback for your defense, that's a, that's a unit that could be exceptionally strong for the frogs this year. Give me all of GHT's physicality and Avery Helm's frame, and I'm going to be a pretty happy Horned yeah. Frog fan. It's going to be great. And, and I mean, that doesn't even mention like the two Juco kids that they brought in, yeah. Channing Canada and Mason White. Ish Burdine, if he stays healthy, could absolutely have a breakout season as well this year. He's a guy who, you know, I was standing there talking to the TCU kids at, at Media Days last year or last week and or two weeks ago now. Uh, I was like, you know, we were talking to Josh and Bud Clark was there, obviously. And I was like, so which one of you guys is bringing home the Thorpe this year? And they were kind of bantering back and forth. And then unprompted, um, Bud looked at me and said, but for real, though, Ish Burdine could do it. Hmm. He's like, if you can stay healthy. And uh, Josh and Jared Wiley was standing right there. And they were all like, yes, Ish Burdine, if he is healthy, will be a dog this year. 
Um, so when you've got your teammates speaking about you like that without being prompted, yeah. you know, just kind of like, Oh no, this is a dude. Um, if, if he's healthy, maybe it'd be, it'd be fun to see ish break out and, and have a really good season. Uh, and then last, uh, question before we get to some general, and I know this podcast is stretching on for days on end as, as we usually do. Um, Rick Moore on Facebook asks who takes over at returner. I think we answered that I, Jojo Earl for sure. in the punt return game, uh, kick return. We get to see more Shad Banks. <laughs> hey, I'm down. I'm yeah. down for, for bowling ball Shad Banks to be out there returning kicks. I think JP Richardson will probably fit yeah. into that role a little bit as well. And I think this is another opportunity where maybe if he's healthy, Corey Wren uh, mm-hmm. can, can see some playing time and Jalen Robinson probably will see some time at returner as well. Um, I think punts, you're right. I think it's going to be JoJo. Kick return is a little bit more up in, up in the air at this point. All right. We got a rapid fire of these general questions. Let's knock these out. We got 12 general questions. Melissa. Well, we have well, a statement. The first, the 11 first one's questions in a statement. 11 questions in a statement. The first one is a statement. Joe Conron from Facebook says, too many questions. Looks like a rebuilding year to me. What's your kind of response to that? I think um, rebuilding is too strong of a word. I, I think when you look at TCU's schedule, there's certainly going to be some strong teams. I wouldn't go to a full rebuild. Um, I think this is a team that into November can be competing for a spot to return to the Big 12 championship game. But there's certainly, you lose a lot of star power. Uh, you lose a lot of guys that are in professional camps. And so temper your expectations, but I don't, I don't think we're going to be falling off the cliff to the bottom half of the Big 12. Fully agree. Fully agree. Mama Paula 21. Can they do it again as far as going to the national championship? That's a tough ask. That's a big ask. Um, there were a lot of things that, that look prepared teams tend to look like lucky teams at times. Right. Yeah. And so you saw that against Baylor. You saw that in the comebacks against Oklahoma state and Kansas state. Um, you saw that at times in the Michigan game as well in the Fiesta bowl. Uh, a lot of things had to break TCU's way. They were also a very, very talented team. They went undefeated in the regular season. They were the first team in the Big 12 to go have an undefeated regular season since Texas in 2009. So, like, that's right. They did something that hadn't been done in the conference in a really long time. Um, I don't know how repeatable that is in 2023. Do I think they will be closer to that than to missing a bowl? Yes. I think they will be closer to competing for another big 12 championship than going say five and seven. Um, But I don't think that it's either a rebuilding year or a national championship birth season for the Horn Frogs this year. I think asking to go to the national championship is too much, but I think being back in the big 12 championship game is not out of the realm of, of expectation or um, possibility. Because the reality is, is I don't think anybody's coming out unscathed this year from the big 12. And if you catch a team at the right time and, and beat the right team, yeah. Um, anything is possible anything, at yeah. Mike Frog. It at Mike Frog IT on Twitter uh, asks, Who is the breakout star this year? Man, I really want it to be Savion Williams. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be Trey Sanders, though. I think that dude is gonna, I think he's gonna, he's gonna make a statement in the Big 12. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm gonna say Jamoy Hodge mm, like defensively, and uh, he had he started to get like a little bit of a reputation around the Big 12 last year that I don't think was very well deserved. Uh, just because he hits people so incredibly hard. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more of Jamoy Hodge making life really difficult for opposing quarterbacks and opposing offenses mm-hmm. this year to the point where I think he's probably on uh, some postseason lists of some kind. Mike Pireland asks, ceiling and floor, who are you most excited to play this season? And of course, your Barbenheimer ranking. All right, Mike, um, ceiling and floor. I think I kind of I hit on that one a little bit. I think we're somewhere between... 
seven wins and 10 wins this year. I don't, I, I, uh, eight wins. I think eight and four would be considered a successful season. I think they can find their way to nine and three. Um, and then maybe a 10th win in a bowl game. Yeah, I think I don't think this team finishes below 500. I think that's the floor. Um, I think the ceiling is making it to the Big 12 championship and, and playing in a meaningful bowl game. Yeah. Um, most, most excited, decided to see play. Trey Sanders, for sure. Yeah, it's Trey. Too. I want to see what he's got left in the tank. Uh, if, he can, if he can stay healthy, uh, I think he could have a really special season. And have you seen Oppenheimer or Barbie yet, Jamie? I saw them with Mike P. Ireland on Sunday. Ah, okay. Um, so we went with a group of folks. We saw Oppenheimer in the morning. We saw Barbie in the afternoon. Oppenheimer, nine and a half out of 10, which is the highest grade I ever give a movie because no, there are no perfect movies. There might be a 10 down the road some sometime, but that is to me as good of, of a movie as I've ever seen. It was incredible. Very well done. Also insanely long. It's over three yeah. hours. So yeah you know, hydrate, I guess, before that one, but not too much. So you don't go to the bathroom all the time. Barbie, Barbie. was a great, Barbie was a great movie. It was very fun. It was very lively, entertaining. Um, my favorite line was from Ryan Gosling, who plays one of the many Kens, uh, when he was laying face down on the ground saying, I lost interest in the patriarchy when I learned it wasn't about horses. So <laughs> that uh, was probably my favorite line in that movie. It was very funny, very entertaining, very well done. I All of the above. Haven't seen either of them yet. I have plans to see them both. There is a 70 millimeter showing of Oppenheimer in Sacramento. So I will probably be attending that because I am a Perfect. film nerd. Um, and Barbie was written and directed by Greta Gerwig, who is an alum of the high school I currently work at. And hey, how about the high that? school with my sister. So um, I'm assuming Barbie's going to be a 10 out of 10. Um, and everybody loves it. So I can't wait to see them. It was both. great. They were both uh, very fun. Compare our upcoming season to a movie. That's, I think it's hard to do before the season has started. Mm-hmm. I like the challenge of it. Um, okay. Gosh, what do I even say here? Do I go sports movie? Do I go not sports movie? Man, I should. I, I typed this question. I had hours to think yeah, about my answer to this it. question. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to say. Man, last year was so much like Remember the Titans that I yeah. don't think this year can be Remember the Titans. No. I think Friday Night Lights is going to wow. be the movie that I go with where you know, you're coming out you, you got still a relatively new coach, you've got a lot of guys who uh, are unproven who have an opportunity to step up and and make some noise and and carry your team to uh, you know, establishing your own legacy in the midst of a program that has so many legacies that have already been established. Um, this has an opportunity to be a Friday night lights type type. No. Yes. Friday night lights type of year for TCU football. And just to be clear, I am talking about the movie Friday night lights, yeah, not the, not TV, the TV show. show. Uh, I'm going to go completely different direction and say step brothers. Um, for one, I think <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're bringing you're bringing together some um, diametrically opposed things, right? At TCU, a high-flying offense with a with a defense who, you know, last year wasn't expected to carry the load. This year is going to be better. You have a lot of different pieces fitting together to hopefully form one family. You're bringing in some outsiders um, that just want to party at the Catalina Wine Festival, and I'm hoping with this new offense, much like we saw last year, that there's just a lot of room for activities. So. To- <laughs> 
to me, I, I think there's there's veterans that are going to pull this thing together, despite the fact that you've got to in it ingratiate a lot of newcomers. Um, and I'm hoping that that while there aren't too many moments of comedy, that there's a levity um, despite the high expectations, because we get to remember even when this season maybe doesn't look as fun as last season at all moments, it was still we're still kind of, you know, uh, living off of the past successes of Will Ferrell. So any opportunity for two TCU players to look at each other and ask, did we just become best friends? Yep. I think I'm here for that. I'm here um, for that. Next question from Sean Manis on Facebook. How much are we going to be dependent on the play of our transfers? Hugely, hugely. I mean, listen, your quarterback is a transfer. Your running back is a transfer. Multiple offensive linemen that you expect to start for you are transfers. Um, you have a transfer at cornerback. You have trans- transfer- four transfers at corner. Four tra- yeah, multiple, like all of your cornerbacks are trained. Yeah. I mean, this is a roster that has been constructed in the era of the transfer portal that has addressed that where they went in and addressed very specific needs. They didn't just go get the best players. They got the best players that fit the needs that they have. Um, If the transfers all were to say, we're not playing on Saturday, TCU would have zero chance of winning a game. Um, So credit to Sonny Dykes for getting, bringing guys in for keeping guys there um, and for identifying points of weakness and addressing them. Um, Yeah. Hugely dependent on the transfers. Next question, Colin P underscore three. This this what's, nothing doesn't have a job he, now. Man, he he fired off so many questions today. Uh, what's your favorite game day food slash drink item? Oh, this one's easy. Just whatever Chris Allison is tail is uh, cooking at the tailgate. Yeah, facts. Chris Allison, shout out to you. Shout out to um, Chris. I'll bring the high noons and the beers. You you bring the brisket, and we're gonna have ourselves a pretty dang good time. Absolutely. Stetson Bennett, no longer in the picture. What percent chance the Frogs have beating Georgia in the national championship? The LMK asks, um, clearly 100%. Stetson Bennett left. Stetson Bennett today had his Twitter account hacked by a um, Bitcoin crypto oh. company. Oh, delightful. So that man, it, while also putting on the list of things he doesn't have a, a degree from Georgia, he no <laughs> longer has his own Twitter account or X sitter account or zitter account either anymore. Perfect. Poor fella. At Jonah underscore went. Do they overdo the hypnotode to the point where it loses all its power and fun? Uh, I, I mean, I think we'll. I don't think we'll see the hypnotode kind of carry the momentum of the team like it did last year. But it should absolutely hang around. It's it's fun. It's cute. There won't be articles. It won't be around everything. But I fully expect it to see during see it during field goals at AMG Carter Stadium. I'm here for the bit to continue. Yeah, I love they'll it. know they'll know when it's worn out and tired, and they'll stop using it. But it's yeah. it's not there yet for sure. Uh, Jowl twenty one thirty. How bad will TCU lose to OU this year? Well, do you remember Jowl? What happened last year? That's tough. It's a tough one, Jowl. Jowl. Tough. Uh, Shad Ron eighty seven from Instagram. Where will the visiting bands be seated this year? My assumption is the same place they've been seated the last few years, like in that wedge. Yeah. In the upper deck wedge. Outside the stadium. Somewhere, somewhere crappy. Yeah. I'll tell you this: they won't have as bad a seats as visiting bands do at, at the University of Texas. This will always be a true statement. Always be a true statement. Last one to wrap it up, Melissa. Why don't you read it out loud? Our friend CL Burns, CLN Burns, Colin Burns on Twitter is Texas back. I've said the same thing about Texas quarterbacks for the last decade at this point, and I'm going to extrapolate that out to apply to the entire Texas football team this year. I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. I'll believe it when I see it. They've done less with more for. 15 years at this point 
we're entering year four of Steve Sarkeesian with another quarterback that has all the hype in the world with skill position players that are coveted by every school in the country with offensive linemen who are making 50 K each. And if they go eight and four, I won't be surprised if they lose to Houston. I won't be surprised because they've managed to fart and fall down multiple times for every single season for the last decade. So if Texas is going to do what everybody thinks they're going to do this year and go to win the big 12 and make the college football playoff and vie for a national championship. Sure. I'll believe it when I see it. Here's one thing that is different about Texas this year. This is the first time that I've been covering TC as member of the big 12, that the quarterback showed up with a big old can of dip in his pocket. So that does make me think a little more highly of the Longhorns chances uh, this season. But like you said, sometimes you got to just, Sometimes you talk it in the off season. Sometimes you got to prove it in the season. It's up to them to prove it in the season. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. So that'll do it though, for this episode of frogs insider. It was a long one today, but thank you again for all of the questions that you guys sent our way. Very excited that football season is upon us. The next episode that you listen to after this one, fall camp will have kicked off for TCU uh, and we'll have all of the updates from fall camp. We'll be talking about position battles. We'll kind of get back into some of these questions that you guys asked us on this episode, as we start to learn more about what this team is going to look like in the fall of 2023. And don't worry next week, we'll also be proving uh, or uh, previewing the 2023 fall uh, football season for the Trubies, um, the inaugural flag football. Yeah, season we got to get in So position group breakdowns. I mean, all the, all the stuff that's coming too. position group breakdowns, T Swift yeah. concert breakdown. It's going to be an action packed episode there's, next there's week as well. So much. But until then, I am Jamie Plunkett. She is Melissa Trebowasser, and we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.